0: what's going on golf addicts db here i've got another fantastic interview planned for us our boy joe scavron scavi is that what they call you joe is it yeah some? that's right yeah he said it um, right
1: yeah
0: tremendous caddy tremendous tremendous caddy been on been on the pga tour for quite some time uh, most notably caddy for Ricky Fowler for a long time, now on the bag of Tom Kim. Joe, thanks for coming on the Tour Junkies podcast. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, man. So what's new, dude?
1: Uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah. I figured it's been it. a crazy uh, last couple months for me, a lot of change, and uh, it's been really exciting. So talk talk about kind of the
0: how that went down, like the whole – Process of, uh, you know, as much as you want to say about, uh, I know you and Ricky are still very good friends, but maybe the departure from Ricky and then how you landed on Tom's bag.
1: Yeah, the whole Ricky thing, I mean, we've kind of kept that between us, uh, how the whole thing went down. Um, obviously, with 13 years on the bag, all the experiences, knowing him since he was a little kid, growing up in the same town, families. There was a lot more to it than just a business partnership. Yeah. Um, but I think both of us realized and have realized that sometimes change is good for both people. And I think you've seen that so far. Um, he's had some success with a sixth and a second and a chance to win. Um, I've been fortunate to have some success with this new bag, getting a win. Um, and I think it's been good for everybody. And sometimes that's just the way it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah so is that how so i I didn't really realize that you and ricky i mean i knew you guys worked together for a long time but i didn't know you guys kind of grew up around the same neighborhood or whatever like is that how you got to know ricky how'd you how'd you guys hook up initially
1: yeah so we're both from marietta california uh i'm eight years older and my parents my mom ran the local junior golf association and my dad's a golf pro so from the time ricky started in junior golf it was in my mom's program so i've known him i mean she let him in wow. normally it was five and she let him in at four and a half and i always tell her she's one for one on the one she picked so <laughs> um so yeah the families have known each other um and that's kind of how it came about is i had worked part-time for a couple other people brendan Steele and a girl by the name of Char- charlotte is just for fun and i was coaching college golf and rick said hey i tried some guys You know, had these exemptions. They've given me some guys that are veterans out there. It's just not working personality-wise. I feel like I need somebody closer to my age and you know, that's more of a personality fit. And I worked that Ohio State uh, event that all the All-Americans got into the nationwide event at the time, and it was during the summer then. And he we, we bogeyed the 72nd hole to go into a playoff, and then lost to Derek Lamley in a playoff. And he said, "Hey, you want to come out in the fall?" And then I've been caddying out on tour ever since while like what's when you look back like over that 13
0: years of you guys just crushing it what's um i'm sure you've talked about some of these before but um what are just some of your like most electric memories of uh or maybe you know like you'll never forget kind of moments or um uh, interactions maybe even on or off the course with ricky
1: yeah well i mean the people you meet along the way i mean it's unbelievable when you look back at it and it becomes part of your life But man, I mean, I never pictured that, you know, caddying would open up so many doors and just the people that I've gotten to be around and meet. I mean, that's the coolest thing aside from the golf that people don't talk about. Um, Just to be around people that are that great at what they do, whether it's CEOs of companies or Tom Brady and Tiger Woods and just these people and you have personal relationships with them or personal moments with them it's very cool. And just something that, you know, you kind of dream about, right. And then it becomes part of your life. But as far as the golf goes, I mean, I always go back to the first Ryder cup that he made, um, played in that one in 2010 and the individual match. And it was coming down to us and he was four down with six to go. If I remember correctly and won all these holes and made the big putt on 17, the big putt on 18. And it was, I mean, What a cool tie. I mean, it was a tie, but it was a big tie to send it back to the next match and him being a captain's pick and hadn't won a match yet. And it was a it was a big deal for both of us. And just that whole week meeting, that was the first time I was ever around Tiger Woods. Um, You know, we partnered with Phil Mickelson and Bones. There was just so many cool things about that week um, that I always go back to. And then obviously the wins. Um, and to me, the ones that stand out, um, the first one at Quail Hollow, the way he did that, in the playoff with Rory and DA points, um, the players, I mean, that one was just the wildest finish you can imagine and the yeah. in the range and going back in the playoff. Mm-hmm. But then to me, the, the, the most meaningful one after all of it was Phoenix, just because of everything that happened to us in Phoenix and the way that he got it together and won that day with everything that happened. Um to me that's still the most kind of meaningful one that showed the grit he had and how bad he wanted to win and that he could bounce back from that adversity.
0: Yeah. You know, a lot of people, Ricky's interesting because like he's, we've seen him grow up, right? Like he came out, he felt, he felt like a kid. He was a kid, I guess a lot like the the new kid he got on your bag. We're going to talk a lot about here in a second, or you have the bag. Um, but so it feels like we know him to an extent, right? Like we know he's a good guy. Everybody knows how, what, what good of a guy he is. Right. And we, we, we know, we feel like we know him, but at the same time, he's not super out there in terms of, he's not one that you find goes on a whole lot of podcasts. Like I was shocked. I think I saw him come up on like the full send podcast, mm-hmm. which I thought was super random that he would show up on, on one of those, but you know, he doesn't go on any of the big, the big golf shows that I can, that I can find, um. So he's a little mysterious in some ways as well. And so I'm curious to know from your perspective, like what's something that people don't know about Ricky um, on or off the course or that that could be funny or kind of a quirk about him or just something that we may not suspect or, or understand fully about Ricky because we all know obviously such a good dude, but so you may have heard us talk about the nut hut. You're like, what is the nut hut? Well, the Nut Hut is our private Discord server. If you're like, what is Discord? Well, it's kind of like a, a messenger application, like Slack or something like that, but it's way cooler. Okay, and our private Discord server is where a community of golf-loving, just golf junkies and addicts gather every single day, 24/7. There's somebody in there chatting it up. We've got uh, approaching a thousand members in the Nut Hut, and it's people who love to bet on golf, who love to watch golf, who love to play golf, who love to play DFS. And it's where all of our inside information goes. If we have a caddy, if we get caddy information, if we're on site that week as media or we have somebody with us as media, uh, all the inside information from the golf course goes into the Nut Hut and is shared with Nut Hut members. We have a weekly uh, input from Caddy John, who spent 12 years on the PJ Tours of Caddy. He gives us all kind of intel on the golf course and other things that he knows and finds. It's where we do our Wednesday night live chat every single week before the tournament starts on a Thursday. Me and Pat. Uh, our friend Ben Little, other members of the Nut Hut community get in and do a live Wednesday night chat. We have drinks. We talk about what we're doing. We talk about lineups. We talk about betting. We talk about strategy. Whatever it is, we talk about it, and the Nut Hut is the place to be on Wednesday night. Now, if you're thinking, hey, it's, it's football season. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Whenever you're hearing this, it doesn't matter. We have every sport imaginable. If you can play DraftKings on it, if you can bet on it, if you can gamble on it in any way, it's in the Nut Hut. We got people talking about it all the time. Every sport, we've got experts, we've got listeners that are great in every single sport available. Since June of 2020, Nut Hut members have won a verified six million dollars in daily fantasy and betting. It's amazing. We got a ton of sharp people in there, ton of sharp minds in there playing DFS and betting on sports. The Nut Hut's where it's at. Plus, it's just a great community. We've we've grown to make a lot of friends, internet friends there in the Nut Hut, and it's just a great time. So we encourage you to stop by, give it a look. The description and the link to get in the Nut Hut is below. Check it out. You can cancel it anytime. No questions asked. Give it a shot. Try it out. We bet you like it. Oh yeah. Plus you get 20% off all your tourjunkies.com slash shop merchandise purchases. I promise you, you'll make your money back. Check out the Nut Hut description below. Let's get back to the podcast.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's anything specific, but I think that that is the balance. Like, he's a quiet guy. He's a mild personality. He's a kind of chill, like in the background. He's not taking over a room. He's not that big personality, but he always has had that big presence and that charisma about him that even though he doesn't have a big personality, people are drawn to him. And so it's always a really interesting dynamic that I thought was fascinating because I'm more of a big personality. Right. And so like when I get comfortable and I'm in a room, I can take over and talk and big personality and the whole thing. And Rick's kind of just chill there, but he's so charismatic with people. People are drawn to him for whatever reason. Um, He has that thing about him and it's kind of been like that since he was young. He didn't always, he didn't ever have a lot to say, but People were always drawn to him and people always loved
0: it. Yeah. All right. So 13 years on the bag with him on the course, I'm sure you guys had moments where there was tension or, you know, yeah. you, you screwed up or, <laughs> yeah. or you told him to do something, he didn't do it and he screwed up. Like yeah. when you look back over 13 years, like what's one of those moments where you're like, God dang, like that was the moment where that was like the where the tension was the thickest or we just yeah. kind of
1: got into it on something. What, what, what happened? Yeah, I mean, we definitely had some moments out there you're going to, right? I tell people that all the time, you know. Guys get all bent out of shape, you know, about a caddy player getting into it. It's just like somebody on the sidelines in an NFL game. It's a little bit different, right? The emotions aren't running as high, but you still, like, there's moments where the emotions are running pretty high or you're out there every day with each other and you're going to get frustrated with each other. And sometimes it's the caddy's fault, you know, and sometimes it's the player's fault. and Sometimes it's just what happens. and. We definitely have had some moments. I remember we had one in Boston that I won't get into the specifics, but, you know, and I was never scared to kind of speak back up with him. And we were always comfortable with that. And I mean, there was, I was like, man, am I going to have my job tomorrow? You know, kind of a thing. And he was always unbelievable at that at bouncing back the next day that even though I felt like, man, I kind of pushed it with him and he seemed pretty frustrated. Like it takes a lot to get him frustrated. Um, He would bounce back from it. And the next day it was like, nothing happened. And so that was, what was great about our relationship was that that was always kind of the way it went. And then obviously the last three years, there was just, there wasn't really moments like that, but there was a lot of frustration on both sides. We were both trying to figure it out. I was trying to help him. And he's trying to play better golf and you both kind of feel helpless at some point that we're not turning it around and we're trying to figure out every way we can to turn it around and that can get frustrating.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I, and I, I want to talk about that. And then, and then I'm, I want to move on to what you're doing now Yeah, with, with Ricky's kind of struggles in the last few yeah. years with the swing changes and all that, like, and now he's, now he's, he's gone back to Butch Harmon. Yeah. Um, like, I guess I have a few questions, you know, like, where do you think that the actual, I mean, do, do you think that leaving Tillery and going to Butch it, it was really that simple? Like, cause it seems like as soon as he did it, 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 now things are clicking. I know that's not how the golf swing works. Like even for the best in the world, you make these changes, um, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, but it seemed, it seems like we heard about him going to Butch and then all of a sudden now he's kind of back doing his thing. Uh, there was also like the the putting woes, right? Where people were wondering like, where's the putter? Like Ricky's always been such a great putter, and what, was that because he was focusing so much on the on the full swing? I, I guess just kind of walk me through some of those details of of you know the changes that he was trying to make with Tillery, what what may or may not have been working there, and then now your your opinion on the the move to Butch.
1: Yeah, so for me, it's a hard thing for me to get into a lot of details because I think some of that stuff's personal to us and our team. Um, but the general of it is, you know, you said is, was it that simple? And it's not that simple, right? Yeah. It's never that simple. It it can sometimes appear that way in golf. It looks like the one thing is the, is what changed it around and everything else. Um, I'm, I mean, I've been close with Butch the whole time, even when we weren't working with him, you know, I go to dinner with him in Vegas. I communicate with him. I've been really close with John Tillery. Like he came out and was my member guest partner two years in a row. And, they're both great teachers and they have different styles. And I yeah. think sometimes, I think what we learned in this is sometimes there's, there's better fits for players, no matter what the info is. Right. And I think that's the big thing is um, what's your fit style wise. What kind of a learner are you? And Butch and Ricky really work that way. And we've seen it. We saw it before and we see it now. Um, and their communication and how Butch communicates just seems to click with Rick. But John tiller is very good at what he does. And the info is fantastic. And he's had success with so many other players and you see it. So it's just not always a fit. Right. And um, the other thing is along the way, the putter, right? Like, that's his thing. He's led the tour in putting and everything else. And we finished outside the hundred, two years in a row of putting. So That's wild. you're not going to play the golf you've played. And I mm-hmm. don't think you would just seen the dip that you saw results wise, if the putter had acted similar to how it acted the whole career. And it wouldn't have been this big deal that everybody, it would have been like, okay, he's, he's moved down the world rankings a little bit. And it's, you know, not the same, but it's not this drop-off that we had. Um, And I think just with golf, it all builds on each other, right? Like, so trying to separate one thing or the other, sometimes you can with guys, sometimes it's obvious. But with this whole thing with Rick, there was just a combination of factors that added up. And, you know, it happens to guys in their career and you're going to have those down times. And the thing we talked about the whole time was, how do you bounce back? How do you become better because of this? And hopefully that's what he's done. And it looks like he's started to turn the corner to me. Does he still hover the putter? he's gone on and off with that. So I don't know exactly what he's doing right now. I mean, he's definitely changed his setup a bit with the putter. We played with him at CJ cup and I watched him uh, in Japan a bit and, you know, he's gone wider with his stance, a little lower with his hands, gone to a different putter. And sometimes you just need to do that to change things up. Right. And we tried to change things up along the way. We tried different putters, you know, we were trying different things and, but also trying to stick to what he does because he's been so good. You don't want to get too far away from that, but, Sometimes yeah. in golf, you just kind of got to shake things up. And I think that's what he's done, you know, this offseason. You know, the change with me, the change with Butch, change in the uh, clubs, you know, he went to a different style of iron, the change in the putting stance. It's just, hey, sometimes you got to just rock the boat and kind of get things moving in the right direction.
0: I started hovering the putter myself six years ago because of yeah. the color. I still yeah.
1: do. I love yeah. it. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, he's reasoning for doing it and everything else. Like, it made (laughs) a total sense. And I mean, when he's rolling it, oh, there's no one that rolls it better when he's rolling it. So,
0: what? Um, uh, how how close how close do you think? Like, you just saw him at the CJ Cup. How close do you think he is to winning it again? Winning anything?
1: Well, I mean, he showed in Japan how close (laughs) he was, right? I mean, he had a putt to take a four shot lead on Saturday, so, um it's pretty obvious that right he's right there, right? And, and even during the struggles, I mean, he almost won CJ Cup last year. I mean, if he putted decent at CJ Cup last year, you know, he probably wins. Um, and Rory had a great putting week and kind of took it over on Sunday. But we were in that final group. We had a chance. He was great tee to green that week. Um, he had a chance there. So when he pops off and plays his best golf, like, he can win. You know, yeah. especially when that putter gets going.
0: All right. Thanks for a- answering all the, all the Ricky yeah. questions there, Joe. Yeah. Now, you have landed on just pro- possibly a goldmine of a bag <laughs> and for sure an electric human being in Tom Kim. You know, our, our show, The Tour Junkies, is notorious for um, having a, a deep affinity and affection for one Siwoo Kim. Yeah. And we love, we love our, South Korean, uh, our South Korean prince is what we call him. And it appears that it appears that Tom, it appears that Tom could be, uh, could be as electric and, um, I'm very interested in learning about him. I'm interested in learning about how, you know, let's just start with how you, how you landed
1: on that bag. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was at home for a few weeks and I got a few calls along the way and, um, I've known Tom's agent for quite a while and. Tom and his agent reached out to me, and we kind of. I took my time with the decision and waited on it. Kind of did my homework, did the whole thing. I didn't know Tom, you know. I knew he had just won Wyndham, and I knew I would heard all this stuff about him, but I didn't know him. What does that homework look
0: like? Like, what's your what's your homework? (laughs) Back to the show in just a second, but I gotta remind you guys if you're if you're not subscribed to the heavy petting or the chalk bomb email, what are you doing with your life? If you're playing DFS, if you're betting on golf, if you're playing one and done. Doing anything with professional golf, DraftKings, whatever, you got to have the heavy petting and the chalk bomb emails delivered straight to your inbox. Every single week, there's a PGA Tour event, 40-something weeks a year. On Tuesday, you're going to get the heavy petting email with the 10 key facts, stats you need to know, information on the golf course, our, our weekly round one favorite prize picks play, and more. Then on Wednesday, you're going to get our final weather thoughts. Is there a wave advantage? Is there not? You're going to get three head-to-head matchups and analysis. Now, if you may say, I don't bet head-to-heads. Well, guess what? It doesn't matter because the head-to-head matchups tell us a lot about DFS, about pivots, about possible ownership leverage, about being for or against a guy. It's good analysis even for DFS. And of course, the chalk bomb is the boldest piece of content in the DFS streets, a name you should consider fading and the following reasons. It's a hot piece of content and it's all free. So you can sign up for both of those emails with the one link in the description of this podcast. It's free, gets delivered to your inbox every Tuesday and Wednesday. You will not regret it. It's one of our best pieces of content every single
1: week. Subscribe now. Let's get back to the show. For me, I mean, I'm kind of a stat junkie, so I went through the stats, okay. um, called some okay. people I knew that knew him. Um, so, you know, fortunately, with how long I've been around golf and everything else, I kind of have some buddies that play mm-hmm. different tours and everything else. And, um, and I mean, everyone raved about it. And so, and then I had a couple conversations with him and was so impressed with his maturity level and his goals and just how he communicated. And some of the stuff he said to me really was like, all right, man, you know? And so we, uh, we decided to do a little bit of a trial and then, you know, the first <laughs> First week went so well. I think we kind of both knew there wasn't going to be much of a trial. This was this was going to work and then top it off with the win the first time we were in an individual event and him making no bogeys and it's just kind of taken off since and um I mean it's been nothing but fun.
0: So that was the Shriners. What what event did you start with him?
1: Uh President's Cup. <laughs>
0: oh, the President's Cup was the first week I was about to get first into. That, week. that was the first week. Yeah. That, that that seems like a strange event to be like your first week on the bag, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought it was an interesting pick, but it, it shows you how smart he is and how much he thinks about things and his maturity level. Because he thought it was a great first week to start, and um, mm-hmm. I was like, man, you know, that's a it's a high level week to start and throw into a team room and everything else. Yeah, it was fantastic, and uh, we kind of hit hit it off right off the bat. I went down to Dallas for a couple of days, and got some working with him and cam mccormick and got to meet him and his family and spend some time at dinner with him and get to know him a little bit and we were comfortable right off the bat i mean there's obviously going to be some adjustments and you're asking some questions after the round and making sure you know hey do you like it this way that way you want to communicate like this how about this and we kind of worked through that that whole week in those pressure situations and it was great
0: what so you're probably what are you like 20 years older than him yeah i'm uh (laughs) i'm 21
1: years older so i turned 42 before he turns 21
0: did you meet his parents i have met his parents yes were they like like very nice people anything funny come out of that are they like hey listen can you make sure you know tom goes to bed before the street lights are on
1: (laughs) no no they've been great um they've been fantastic um agent's been fantastic he's got a great team around him he's been very diligent about how he's gone about that process and who he's put around him. Um, I've really enjoyed our time with Cam McCormick. Um, I've been around Cam with, you know, him being with Jordan and Berger and some of these other guys, but I'd never actually, you know, seen him work. And um, he's been very impressive and it's been fun to be around him. And just the whole thing has been, uh, you know, I can't say enough about it. It's, it's been a lot of fun.
0: So I asked this on just about with just about everybody, but like, speaking of the the presidents cup you know the, the the south korean's really took over and and were were quite entertaining to watch uh even in defeat but um you know we we always like to ask people who especially have been around the tour for a while uh any siwoo kim stories just yeah. any, anything cuz everybody's got yeah a siwoo kim one-liner that he delivered at some point yeah. or something funny he said we've we've collected a nice uh, a nice uh a nice array of those I, I would love to hear from you if you've had any good siwoo kim interactions or maybe
1: one from the best yeah. so first of all I, i'm with you i'm a big siwoo kim fan um mm-hmm. i have been uh buddies with uh Brandish and yeah. so you know um i've heard his stories been around siwu a bit and gotten to see him you know he's <laughs> he's such a great dynamic of a super talent and then also these stories that go along. But my favorite one from the President's Cup was when Tom, (laughs) in our match, you know, we had to go right back out there. We didn't even hit any balls in between. We barely got enough time to eat. They were like, hey, you're back out because they wanted to send us against Cantley and Xander. And so we were first match. And Tom, you know, who never misses a fairway, hit left of left off one. And this thing hits a tree and kicks back in the fairway. And the crowd started going nuts. And Tom kind of did his thing. But Siwoo started raising the roof. And I hadn't seen anybody raise like the last time I remember somebody raising the roof was Tiger '96 you know, or whatever that was Phoenix when he made the one. And I was like, how does he even know what raising the roof is? Like I thought he was too young for that. And Tom had no idea. I was telling Tom about it. He's like, I don't even know what that is. Like, yeah, I don't know. Oh, it's this thing. I like, can, I was like, you'll remember like from the tiger video. Cause he watches all the old stuff, but I thought that was hilarious. And it kind of set the tone for the match. And, um, they had so much fun out there together. And, you know, the South Koreans, it was really cool for me to see that up close and see their type on and how much, you know, they're eating every meal together. And they're always the guys that are laughing. Like, yeah, you can hear them, you know, we, you've got the team set up in there and you've got your locker room and then you've got your, where you're eating and the whole thing. And you could hear that one of them laughing at all times. And I wish I could understand them because you don't know what they're yeah. saying. Tom's like, yeah, if you could hear it, it's really funny. And, you know, a couple of times in Japan, even we all rode to the course together. And One day it was me and all of them. And they're just laughing the whole time, you know, and I don't know what they're laughing about, but whatever (laughs) it is, it must be funny.
0: Yeah. You got to, um, you got to keep me posted, man. You got to send me, as you have more Siwoo Kim interactions or hear things, you got to keep, you got to keep delivering those to us. Yeah. He's incredible. Yeah. And you know, it's funny when I ask that question, it's funny who you get answer from like I asked Matt Naismith that question not really thinking that Matt would have a whole lot yeah and Matt delivered like four of the most electric like all of them could be t-shirts uh, <laughs> four like four things four different times that he had remembered and like filed yeah. away from Siwoo saying just
1: the most off the wall or just funny <laughs> really funny stuff he's always surprising you like you'll be talking about sports here or something and he's you know he's up on baseball and he knows what's going on and, and he'll make some comment and you're like, wait, what? I didn't even yeah. really pay attention to this. <laughs> so, yeah, he always keeps you on your toes. Let's, um,
0: so, Tom, talk about Tom a little bit. Like, I mean, he's, he's been, you know, obviously in, in, the, in, the, in the eyes of everybody lately with the wins and he's so good with the media too at such, an, such a young age. Um, just seems like such a genuine kid. Um, but I don't know, like anything that, that, uh, that we should know about Tom in terms of maybe something that hasn't quite shown out yet or, or, or been put to the forefront
1: yet. No, I think he's been, I think that's the cool thing about him is he is what you see, you know, and he's, he hasn't been afraid to be who he is. Um, and I think that's why people have been drawn to him. Um, he's, you know, everything I've heard him say in the media is pretty much, who he's been and, um, there's no fake in him. Um, it's, it's refreshing to see how much he loves golf, how pumped he is about everything, you know, all the goals he has, how excited he is about all of it. Um, it's great to see. And I think he's very honest with himself about everything, uh, what he needs to get better at, what he's good at. And, um, and that's always nice to see, especially from my standpoint, when you get a guy that, is very self-aware i would call it of yeah. knowing what he is and um and owns it
0: all right tell us something that we don't know like what's he into like what kind of music or what's uh is it is, it, is he like Wu? like with a sports thing or is he uh is he checking out girls behind the ropes a lot like give us uh, just something
1: honestly he is golf 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 He oh, is. <laughs> he loves to give me a hard time because everyone talks to me about sports out there and that's what most of us talk about anyway right like especially like i told him i said like this is the fall like this is nfl you know um major Mm -hmm. league baseball playoffs nba starting um he does have some interest in nba so that'll be good we can talk a little bit about that but he gives me such a hard time about how much i talk about the chargers and then the padres going on that run and me wearing a padres hat the whole time and you know everybody talking to me about the games he's like really again are we doing this again Joe like can you please <laughs> stop talking about this and I'm like what else are we gonna talk about bud like this is what yeah. we talk about you know so um he is golf 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 and um you know he's 20 years old and yeah he does he, just loves it does he have a girlfriend uh not that I
0: know of okay you gotta keep him away from the girls you know that yeah.
1: <laughs> keep those girls keep away for,
0: for a few years just a few I'm more sorry. years um so uh, you you being the stats junkie, I love that. Cause obviously, I mean, you know, the the majority of our content is based around handicapping golf from a betting and DraftKings DFS perspective. That's what we've done since 2015. And so we're, we're very much into the stats and the data and we run models and we, we, we do all these things. Right. So I love getting kind of a stats junkie on. Um, and there's a couple of caddies on the PGA tour that I communicate with regularly on their players stats. And, um, And it's interesting to talk through that. I think it was the fried egg. It was somebody on the fried egg. I don't know his name, but he's a stats guy who just did an article and he kind of talked about Tom Kim and he talked about his distance, Mm -hmm. the the distance thing. Mm -hmm. And he was making some comparisons to other elite players right now, young players. And and saying that, you know, his his projection is Tom's gonna Tom's gonna have issues when we come to major championship golf courses, when we come to some of the big boy golf courses on the PGA tour, um, if he if he doesn't gain, if he doesn't add distance, as that seems to be the the name of the game. What have you observed so far? Like, does he have an extra gear that you've seen him tap into? Is he is he chasing distance at any point? Do you feel like that's kind of um, you know, that that statement from the guy at Friday could be erroneous in any way like what's your take as a stats guy there
1: yeah so i mean it's always hard especially with us like just starting like what he's comfortable with me sharing and what he's not I get that. Um, mm-hmm. but i will say that it's pretty obvious when you look at the speed he plays at that people would pull that as an issue um it's been talked about in our group um and i will tell you that he has another gear and he has shown me. I, I didn't believe it at first, and he can get it up there when he wants to. Um, and he's kind of chosen to play at that speed, I'll say. And I don't think it's going to be an issue going forward. Now, is he going to be a guy that's going to be 180 yeah. to 185 ball speed? No, he's not. Right. But can he play in a Colin Morikawa um, speed? He definitely can. So, um, and I think that will gradually increase over time. Um, Tom's very smart about how he goes about everything. Um, and I think the more he sees the big golf courses like CJ and those kind of things, um, he'll realize the value in it. And it's, from what I've seen, it's not going to be a problem.
0: What? So, I mean, I mean, for right now, there doesn't seem to be much of a weakness in, in his yeah. game. Okay. But if, if, if you had to pick one area that, you know, he's working on or he needs to work on or, or is, could be the one thing, like, what is it?
1: I mean, I would say you kind of nailed the one thing that certain golf courses that it would limit him right now playing at 165. You just, you have to play so good at certain venues to overcome where these guys are going to be hitting it um, that you don't have a margin for error. But other than that, I haven't really seen a weakness. There's areas, obviously, he's going to continue to get better. Um, but there's there's not a weakness there. There's nothing that's glaring that... Uh, that stands out at you. There's little shots that he's going to continue to work on with Cam that as he sees major venues and he sees firm greens and things like that. And I think that'll be the whole thing is when you get on firm big boy golf courses, when you play at lower speeds, the you know, the release coming in the greens. Yeah. Um the re- you know, release from a five line. Yeah. When he's on a soft golf course, that doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. Like even if he's got longer clubs in, that's not gonna matter. But right now yeah it's going to be an advantage on certain golf courses the guys that are at those 180 ball speeds are going to have an advantage on him, there's no doubt
0: i'm curious with all your experience like i mean he's not played a full PJ tour schedule yet mm-hmm. did you have any did you like work with him on planning out his schedule and you say like like dude this golf course is built for you like we have to play here because obviously you know these places a lot better than he does did
1: you have any say in that or did you guys talk through that or have you even made the um, schedule? once again, he's pretty planned out and pretty smart. Um, and he came to me with his schedule and I made a couple suggestions that, uh, he took, and I think he's going to go with at least one or two of them. Um, but we just talked more about the whole thing of balancing how much you're going to play with how excited he is to be out there and how much he wants to play. And he wants to see all the golf courses and see what the best fits are for him, but you can't go see every golf course the first year. And where he's at in the world rankings and the events he wants to compete in, you know, keeping energy levels up, um, the amount of time he puts in at a golf course to prep for a tournament, um, you know, how we do that on a weekly basis when you're playing three or four in a row and where you kind of take time off and spots and things like that. But I think right now it's pretty obvious which golf courses are going to fit him the best, um, where his game is right now. And so those are all going to be on the schedule and then um, and then it's kind of going from there but uh, I think he'll play a decently heavy, heavy schedule this year and then eventually I would assume that will come down as time as time goes on but he's energetic he's young and yeah. he wants to play more he's a pup I
0: was yeah. just gonna say dude like with all your experience and your knowledge I can imagine like especially in that preparation side. Cause I mean, we talked to a bunch of young players. I was just talking about this with Grayson Sig, like his rookie year, just how bad he struggled having to do so much prep work on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because he didn't know the golf courses and Mm -hmm. because his caddy didn't know the golf courses and learning all those things. And then that, that, that doesn't necessarily bode well for your Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. I can imagine with Tom having you that like, I mean, you know, these places so, so, so well um, would probably help there. Uh, So what, of all the courses we can think about in our head that would be great for Tom, right? Like Sedgefield, I'm sure Harbor Town, uh, probably uh, Pebble Beach. I would think maybe uh, Colonial. What are some places? What's like one place that you think is still going to be a pretty good spot for him that we might not think about? Like kind of an, a, a
1: a random. Yeah, I think I I think he will find. His way to play Augusta because he wants to play well there so badly, and I think he will, even though it wouldn't necessarily kind of play out that you know, if anything, his ball falls right, yeah, he doesn't hit it real long. Yeah. Um, but his iron play, his ability around the greens, and I think he wants to play well there so bad that, yeah, first year, who knows, we'll see. Like, but I think over time he will learn how to play well there and compete there. And um, I think that will be one that will kind of shock people over time that he'll have, he'll have some success there. And then I kind of have a feeling that Phoenix could be good for him because of the, you know, similar to Ricky, a personality fit there. Um, And I think personality fits a big deal at that event. And I think, um, you know, similar to the president's cup, how he fit into that environment I think Phoenix could be a week that, even though it kind of leans towards bombers most of the time, you've seen guys like Ches Reeby have yeah. success there, and I think Tom could have some success there
0: that's interesting um how, like why why is Phoenix like that like what is is it you could say the same thing about like the gala right last year? Yeah. great personality to, and, and so like there are definitely guys where that seems to line up but why yeah. why does how help me understand how personality fit at a golf course as wild as 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 uh a golf tournament as wild as waste management is how does that translate to like good scores you know what i mean
1: i know it doesn't make a lot of sense like when you're like going through stats or you're going through logical reason it doesn't make a lot of sense other than you're kind of embracing what goes on there and not getting bothered by it and i think you know as soon as you get bothered by it that's a problem and then some guys kind of ride off that adrenaline and they love getting to that stretch of 15 through 18 and how electric it is and the whole deal. And they love 16 and they kind of ride the momentum. But other than that, there's really no explanation. I mean, I was, I was actually not to name drop, but I was actually talking about this with Paul Goldschmidt last week. I was on a golf trip with him and we were talking about, he said certain parks, he just gets in the park and he doesn't know why, but he just, everything kind of falls in place and he hits well in that park. And we were talking about golfers, like how you just get to a course and every year, whatever it is, you yeah. start playing well there. And sometimes it's not even a course fit for you, you know, right. like, and it's just, and then once you've played well there once or twice, like it keeps going, just like some place might be a fit for you and you played bad once or twice and you kind of turned into like, well, that course doesn't fit me, you know? And I, I don't know how to explain it really, but you see it a lot at Phoenix.
0: Yeah. So back, back to your stats junkie thing. I'm I'm curious, like, are you, are you helping out with some of that um, data or analysis with Tom or with Cameron McCormick? Or did you do any of that with Ricky or you just kind of do it yourself in terms of your
1: preparation? Uh, So with Rick, I was pretty involved with it. So a lot of like, I worked a lot with Mark Brody. And um, so Mark would kind of send me some of the stuff and then we'd go through breakdowns. And so I kind of learned, his stuff i'm not smart enough to do it myself so i just kind of use them like okay how can we get better what can we do um look at some of the things on the golf course with strategy how to play holes with tom cam's very good with that stuff so cam's kind of handled that stuff and i'll take cam stuff and go okay well we could do this or we could do that and then you're always trying to as a caddy take the stats and say okay this is the way to do it but okay From there, like, what's my player comfortable with? What's the situation? What are we doing there? And kind of combining them.
0: Yeah. What's, and I know you haven't had a whole lot of time here with him, so the the sample size may be limited, but, uh, you know, usually with a player like Tom who hits so many fairways and especially so many greens, you could see like poor around the green data or stroke scan around the green data because there's just a small sample size. They, They barely miss, you know, they rarely miss a green. How good. You know, and then he, a lot of the South Koreans are very good around the green. Like Siwoo Kim, I think is extremely underrated around the greens. Uh, Byung Hun An is is another one who's extremely good around the greens. How good is Tom when he when he does miss the
1: green? He's very good. Yeah, yeah. I've been very impressed with his pitching, chipping, all those things. Um, he doesn't really have a weakness. He's always trying to learn new shots learn how to read lies better. Um, his practice is very good between him and Cam and how they do things. Mm-hmm. I've been very impressed with there's not a lot of mechanical practice. It's performance practice. How do we get better? You know, How do we make it more of a tournament environment? Um, statistically coming in, it showed from the small sample size that he had that you know inside 10 feet wasn't a strength and 15 to 25 feet was. But what I've seen so far, He's putted it very good inside ten feet. He made a ton of big ones at the Presidents Cup. Yeah, he obviously didn't make a bogey in um, Vegas. So we've seen that uh, he puts it very well too. I mean, his putting stroke is solid. He puts a ton of work in on it. He combines the practice of mechanical block practice and then random, you know, performance practice. Um, so yeah, around the greens, I mean, he's very good.
0: I'm curious, you being the, the 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 stats nerd too, like we get deep in the weeds sometimes, and I think sometimes too much into like different green surfaces, right? And do the yeah. guys how much better are they on Bermuda versus Poa versus bent? Um, you know, and and is there really is is that is is that just more noise? You know, does the um you know do do, do bad putters do better on bent because? what you see is what you're going to get more than likely They get put, you know, or do they do worse because they don't, they don't normally put a good role on it. Like all of those things, right. Go into, or is POA because it's so, you know, it's kind of random at times or it gets bumpy and all of those things. Like, do you dive into some of that stuff too? Like for your own player, did you do it for Ricky or how do you, how do you approach some of the different putting surfaces and stuff?
1: Yeah. With that, I don't get that deep into it. Um, I think, more observation than anything you know if you start seeing a pattern emerge you know where all the POA golf courses you go to you're not putting as well and those stats go down and you're not getting results then yeah maybe there's something there or if you're getting better results on Bermuda then yeah there might be something there but you know with Tom we're so early on I haven't you know we haven't seen enough surfaces or had enough tournaments on all of them to see any patterns. But to your point, I think Poa is one that stands out. And you look at the guys, there's certain guys that they have success at Pebble, at Torrey, because they put Poa well. And Tiger, Phil, and Branch Snedeker come to mind. Yep. And, you know, style of stroke, you know, where you grew up, all those things have a factor. To me, I almost think the bigger factors you see guys that play better with. When you're talking about chipping surfaces and rough and things like that, like yeah. some guys with the Bermuda rough and with, um, you know, or with overseeded rye, or guys that chip better off the tight Bermuda than others, and guys from the West Coast that struggle over there, I think you see a lot more variance there because the greens are so good that other than Poa, I mean, we're not really putting bad greens. And I and there is yeah. something to it. Like you're going to see certain greens better than others, and some weeks you just don't feel like. You can read them as well, and you seem as I even go through that. I have certain weeks where, man, I really get it, and then other weeks where I struggle a little bit, you know, yeah. um, depending on the surface.
0: Yep, yep, that makes sense. Then the putting or the chipping thing is definitely something. I, I feel like you get to those grainy Bermuda tight lies, chipping off of those. I mean, at, at home, you know, I yeah. struggle like crazy with those myself, um, so I, I totally get that. Um, all right. Well, Joe, I appreciate the time, man. I guess I'd ask you one more thing. Like, what's the funniest, what's the hardest you've ever laughed on the golf course? Like you've, I'm sure, you know, you've got a lot of stories. You've had a lot of, a lot of tournaments under the belt and just thinking through what, when you, when you think about the funniest, funniest damn thing you've ever seen on the course. Yeah. I'm,
1: I'm sure I'm missing it. I'm sure there's something along the way that was said or whatever. We've had so many good times out there, especially in practice rounds and things like that. But the one big moment I think back to, and it wasn't how hard I was laughing, it was just the reaction of, wow, like we played that final round in 2012 at Memorial with Tiger, and Ricky had come off second at the players and winning Quail Hollow, and it was kind of ascending, and it was like, okay, Rick's here kind of a thing. And we were in that second to last group. And I think we started the day three or four back and birdied the first hole. And then we just had a disaster and got ourselves out of it. And Tiger, when he hit it over the green, no one could hit it on the green on 16. That was when that green was pretty new and was playing downwind and he couldn't keep it on the green. And he hit it over that green and he had this shot that you're just hoping to get up and down most guys, you know. And right when he hit it, I'm like, man, that's good. And then when it went in, it was like, of course it went in. And, I mean, we were just chuckling to ourselves, like, of course it went in. It's Tiger Woods, right? And the place is going nuts, and Sabatini's back there dealing with the whole thing, and Tiger's doing his fist pumps, getting the crowd right up. and I just kind of shook my head and was laughing. It's, I mean, it was just like a, of course he did,
0: you know? Totally. Yeah, That's yeah. that's that's Tiger kind of moment, for sure. Yeah. Yeah um listen man we appreciate it we're looking forward to watching you and tom work i would think sony or YLI might be a good spot for him too yeah i think it will be i haven't been
1: there i haven't been there since ricky's rookie year so we were two rounds and out Mm -hmm. and haven't been back since um so looking forward to getting back there and uh, seeing what it's like and i I really feel like it could be a good fit for him and then um you know come back and the quinta and can hardly wait to see him play at La Quinta Country Club. I told him we might be on 59 watch at some point that day. Sick. Yeah.
0: Love it. Well, unfortunately, all, the, all the, the sports books have figured out Tom's good. So we're not, all the value's gone, but we're still <laughs> like we're um, we'll still. Thanks, Joe. We appreciate it. This was, uh, this was good. We appreciate your time. All right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.